You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Good morning, good morning. Uh, I want to take a moment of just personal privilege and just say um, thank you so much to, to the elders, to the deacons, to the staff, and to you, the congregation. Um, Tomorrow marks kind of a, a big day for me. I have to go, uh, Jackie and I are leaving early in the morning to go to um, Raleigh, and I have to defend my, orally defend my dissertation. What does that mean? I have no idea. So, um, but thank you all. You guys made it possible. You prayed for me over the last two years of studying and being away and things like that. I just want to thank you so much for all that you have done. Continue to pray that we get there in time and deal with all the details and everything. But thank you very much for all of that. We are continuing in our, our, uh, our series on Daniel called The Gospel According to Daniel. And I don't know if you know this, but Daniel 1, chapter 1 through 6 are all stories about that happened during Daniel's life. And then 7 through 12 are prophetic visions that Daniel received. So next week we're going to start on those prophetic visions. But let's recap some of the history. How did we get to this point in, in history in Daniel's life? Um, I've given you kind of a timeline up here, but uh, first of all, God brought the nation of Israel into the promised land. This happened about 1400 BC, okay? 14 centuries before Christ. He commanded them not to worship uh, other gods and not to intermarry with the locals, which of course they did over and over again. Uh, He sends judges. God uses um, judges to rule the nation. He uses other nations to come in and judge the people. by, by persecuting them in different ways. Eventually, they cry out for a king. He sends them Saul, uh, King David, and Solomon. Israel kind of reaches its height at this time, and then, like every good story, all the intrigue happens, and the nation divides. The nation divided uh, in 931 B.C., and it's ruled by various good and bad kings. In fact, you can count all the good kings on one hand. That's how bad it was. The people continue to follow uh, other gods, So finally, Israel, which is called the northern kingdom at this time, is exiled by the Assyrians, okay? The Assyrians come in and invade from the north, and and they exile the people in about 722 B.C. And then subsequently, the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, is exiled to Babylon in 605 B.C. And this is where this bears on our story, because Nebuchadnezzar came down with Babylon and took people away. Now, I want you to note one thing. 1400 B.C. is when they came into the land. 605 is when the last captives were being taken away. Eight centuries. Eight centuries of God being patient with his people. You could preach a whole sermon on that. Eight centuries. Now think about this. Let me put that in context. The United States has been a country for 243 years. So for over three times that, God was patient, constantly calling back his people to serve him, to not go astray, and they continued to do so. So in 605, when Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, comes down and, and starts taking away captives, Daniel probably would have been a teenager about that time, maybe 15, maybe 17. Nebuchadnezzar ends up dying in 563 B.C., about 40 years later. Belshazzar comes to power. Belshazzar rules Babylon for over 20 years until 539 B.C. Daniel's still alive. He served all three of these kings. And then finally, 
In 539, as we read last week, this is when Darius the Mede comes on and, and overnight captures the city and it's all of a sudden ruled by, by Darius, okay? So we opened our story. Let's talk again now about Daniel 6. What do we already read? Well, Darius, now that he's taken over, he sets up this government, 120 satraps or governors, three presidents over them, of which Daniel is one of the three presidents. Okay, there's the hierarchy. Verse 3 says that Daniel even distinguished himself above the other two presidents and the 120 satraps. He was set up to be number one, or really number two in the whole kingdom, only behind Darius. Of course, these satraps, these presidents, they devise a plan to catch him in his faithfulness to God, because that's the only way they could catch him. If you saw in verse 7, the governors come into the king and they say, all the leaders. You ever had someone do that to you? Come in and go, hey, everyone's decided. Everyone is saying this. And usually when they say that, or when they say, no one, no one likes you. Usually it's not everyone, it's not no one. But that's what they do. They come and say, everyone agrees with this. But notice Daniel's not even present. But what did Daniel do in verse 10? When he knew that the document was signed, the first thing he does, he goes home and he prays. He's caught, he's thrown in the lion's den, it's sealed, and the king has a sleepless night. There's a lot of famous pictures when it comes to Daniel in the lion's den. Here's, here's a couple uh, that have been created through the years. Uh, Daniel's an old man. Here's another one. And then this one here, I, I kind of like this third one. Uh, Daniel is very cut there, right? I mean, this guy, he's been working out. He looks a lot younger than Daniel probably would have looked there because Daniel's probably in his 80s now. But I do, I do like, the, I like the casual repose. I'm just kind of hanging out, you know, praying here, got some lions around me. No big deal, right? He seems to be at peace here. Well, we are going to read the rest of the story. Remember, Daniel's in the lion's den. He's been there all night. So if you would, let's stand to our feet out of honor for God's word, and let's read verses 19 through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. 
he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Please pray with me. Father, we ask your spirit now to come. Come and speak to our hearts. We pray that you would use your word, apply it to those areas of our hearts that doubt you, to doubt your presence. Take my words, Father, your words, and use them for your glory. Have your way with us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please have a seat. Keep your Bibles open to Daniel 6 there if you would. What I want you to see through all of this, more than anything, is that God is present with his people. He was present with Daniel all those years. Daniel walked consistently with God for a long time. And you and I are not alone either. God continues to be present with us every day. A lot of times we don't notice it, but he's there. The first thing I want you to see is God is present with his people through his spirit. I don't know if you noticed, we kind of glossed over it in verse 3 there. It says, this, then this Daniel was distinguished above all the other presents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit was in him. Daniel had this excellent spirit, and by that spirit, he learned to live as a pilgrim in a foreign nation. He learned to be in his culture, but not of his culture. And I want you to see, more than anything else, you and I have that same excellent spirit within us. Our students went away this weekend, and this whole weekend is designed for them to hear the Spirit speak. And I hope most of you, if not all of you, heard God through His Holy Spirit speak to you. Because God wants to do that every day, continually for us. Now, if Daniel was a teenager at the exile of 605, he's now around 80 years old. He served under three pagan kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Darius. He served faithfully these empires for almost 70 years. Three different kings, three different cultures. He served so well that he continued to get promoted. Even though he served these empires well, he was not tainted by them. Corruption was common in the ancient world, but Daniel didn't use his position as number one. Now think about that. Other than Darius, he's the number, number one guy. He could have used his position to do something for himself or his people, but there's no record of that. His enemies could find no fault in him. He embodied the words we see Jesus speak in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And you and I have that same excellent spirit living in us. Daniel's goodness and faithfulness to God only earned him powerful enemies. Paul, the Apostle Paul, warned Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, believers around the world, they understand what persecution is. Here in the U.S., I don't think we understand it to the extent that they do. You see, we don't experience persecution, even though we should expect it. Living in a sinful world, the most we ever get is mockery, uh, mockery, isolation, conflict, trouble at work, if you will, or being thought of as strange or peculiar. 
That's some of the ways we suffer for the sake of Christ. But we have to remember that this is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. Now, those aren't words we use a lot. We think of the pilgrims, we think Plymouth Rock. But this is not our home. We belong somewhere else. Reynolds, Indiana is my hometown, but it's not my home. I'm going on 24 years living in Goose Creek. Goose Creek is where I live, but this is not my home. As pilgrims, as Christ followers, this is where we live, but this world is not our home. And there should always be an uncomfortableness here. I don't know if you feel that. There should always be an uncomfortableness in this life. Our welcome to some degree should always be less than warm. When Daniel's accusers came, they called him an exile from Judah. Think about that. He has served this nation or the nations before him for almost 70 years, and he's still labeled as an exile. That was a, a, a term of derision. He gave his life to this culture, and he was called an outsider and therefore untrustworthy, primarily because his deepest loyalties were with God. Even with all the years of faithful service, Babylon was not his home. He was a pilgrim. We need to remind ourselves that just like Daniel, God is walking with us, right? He's present with us. That same excellent spirit lives in us, even as we live as pilgrims. Philippians 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews 11 is a great chapter. It's called the Hall of Faith. You look at this picture up here. These are some of the people. You'll recognize some of those folks maybe. Um, but it's called the Hall of Faith. It goes over and over again all that the, the people of God did. It mentions people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and then the writer says this. He said, all of these guys were living by faith, but then it says this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Think about that. They looked and they said, they greeted them from afar. It's like, I can see them over there. I can wave, but I can't acquire them. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For they have been, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have opportunity to return. So in other words, they weren't talking about this life. They were talking about another life, another homeland, another country. Verse 16 says this, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We're pilgrims, and by God's Spirit, by that excellent Spirit, He's wanting us to live like that. How do we live as pilgrims? As a people with the excellent Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God Himself in us, here are some ways I can think of. We have to remember that our hope is in God, not in our current president. I always amaze me when people, when elections come around, and they get all worked up about what's the next president. I'm old enough to see both sides of the aisle get elected. And I've never had faith in any of them because my faith is in someone much more secure. It's in Jesus Christ. So our hope is in God, not in our current president, government, or even our boss or our job. 
We remember our faith is in God, not in ourselves. I think that's where the rub really comes with us. Our faith is in God, not ourselves. We seek to extend grace and mercy to others more than we expect to be treated well by them. As a pilgrim, as a sojourner, you don't expect to be treated well in any particular way. As Christ followers, we expect to feel uncomfortable here. That's what we call normal. But most of all, we remember that in this life, God is present with us through that excellent spirit in us. Secondly, we see that God is present with his people in their prayers. Verse 10 says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now think about this. You ever wonder why Daniel just didn't go home, close the door, close the drapes and pray? No one would know, right? Well, he knew that God knew. He knew that God knew. His enemies knew that he had no divided loyalties. His loyalty to God always came first, and he persisted in prayer. He could have responded in a number of ways to this edict. He could have gone to the king and appealed for fairness. He could have gone to his friends and complained. Instead, he did what he always had done. He prayed. Now, don't miss this. This is so subtle, sometimes we miss it. Notice that the crisis didn't drive him to, need, to, to his knees. In other words, the eating didn't come down, and he, and he didn't say to himself, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I need to go and pray. Because we think that, right? I don't think that's the way it was. I think rather the crisis didn't change his regular habit, which was praying three times a day. That's what he did. Morning, noon, at night, every day he prayed three times. He also didn't cry out to God for deliverance about the unjust edict. Instead, Scripture says, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks. What's he got to thank God for? He's in a crisis, right? He's got so much to thank God for, and that's what he did. He did what he had always done. How should this change us? What regular habits do you have that connect you in a deeper dependence on God? How much, how much of your prayer time is asking God to change your situation or to change that person rather than just humbly thanking him for his overwhelming goodness to you? It's interesting that Daniel's prayer here is also an answer to prayer. Take a look at this picture. Here's Daniel praying, all right? Years before, about 400 years before, Solomon has just built his temp wonderful temple. And Solomon, during the dedication of this temple, stands and prays. And this is what he prays. Daniel praying is actually an answer to Solomon's prayer. Listen to what Solomon prays. He's saying, God, if in the future, if they, your people, sin against you, and you're angry with them, and you give them to an enemy so that they are carried off to a captive land, to the land of their enemy, far off or near. That's where Daniel is, right? Yet if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land. Did you notice that? Daniel, it says three times a day, he got on his knees and it actually says his open, his, uh, he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
So every day he got on his knees facing Jerusalem and prayed. Solomon goes on, he says, If they pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city, Jerusalem, that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, the temple, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. Daniel called out to God, and God heard Daniel's plea. Are you persisting in prayer? What are you praying for? How many years have you been praying for that? I want you to do something real quickly. I want you to turn to your neighbor and be vulnerable. I want you to say, here's something that I've been praying with for a long, long time. Take 30 seconds, do that real quick. What's something you've been praying for? Let your neighbor know. I became a Christian at age 14, and immediately, because of what I realized I was experiencing, I started praying for my family. Within four to five years, my mom became a Christian. Both my sisters became Christians, but my dad, I prayed and prayed and prayed for my dad. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, this prayer thing, I'm telling you to do this, I am not good at this. I stink at prayer. I really do. Praying for my dad's salvation, one of the most important things I could ever pray for. Did I pray every day? Absolutely not. Did I pray every week? No. Sometimes there were months, and if I want to be honest, I think there were years, a year or two, where I just didn't think about my dad. I didn't think about his salvation. But he started getting sick. He started getting really up there in years, and I prayed more and more earnestly. And God answered that prayer. My dad died last year about this time. And I realized I'd been praying for my dad off and on, not very well, casually at the best, and God still answered that prayer after 43 years. And in the eyes of God, that's just that's a blip. Keep praying for those things your heart aches for. God hears it. And God, it doesn't mean God is going to answer it the way you want it, when you want it, but keep praying. God's present with his people through his spirit. He's present in their prayers. And finally, God is present with his people as they rest in Christ. We've been talking every week about a church in China called Early Rain Covenant Church. Elder Lee wrote this open letter. He said, this is a letter he wrote, went public. It says this, The Lord is bestowing on us, poor people today, treasures of glory from heaven. The Lord himself is bestowing on us weak people comfort from heaven. The Lord is shining on us blind people his great light. You notice the theme there? It's the Lord. The Lord is doing these things to that church in China. The same is true with us. The Lord is at work. He's present in our midst. When we rest and rely on God, it's Christ himself who's working. This story about Daniel is not a story about how to be a better Daniel, that when you get into the the den of lions that you're under, you just need to pray and trust God and you'll be delivered in the morning. That's not what this story is about. A lot of times we think that, but this is a story about Christ and what Christ has done for you and I and what he continues to do for us. Here in Daniel 6, it comes ironically 
we see that we see the, the character of Christ coming ironically through the words of Darius. If you look in your Bibles in verses 26 and 27, look at what it says again. This is Darius talking, okay? A pagan king, probably not a Christ follower. Certainly, maybe not even a God, God fear. But look at what he says. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is about Jesus Christ. Verse 26 again. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the end. It's another way of saying Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's the one who has always been. He's the one who always will be. It's a picture of who he is in his eternalness. His kingdom will have no end. Jesus Christ's kingdom will have no end. He goes on to say in verse 27, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. In Luke 4, when Jesus was beginning his, his ministry here on earth, he got up in the synagogue and he read this scripture. This is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders. Today, Jesus Christ still delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders, even now in our lives. And then finally, it's, he said that he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 1 Peter chapter 5, you've heard the verse before. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around round like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus Christ is our protector, our defender. He continues to watch over us and rescues us from the power of the lions we face. Jesus, like Daniel, was blameless. You notice in that scripture we read that Daniel says two or three times, I was blameless, I was without fault. Jesus was without fault. He was unjustly accused for his righteousness. Jesus also was placed in a cave, covered by a stone, sealed by the king. The next day, Daniel was rescued from death. But Jesus also overcame death. He overcame death that morning and rescued not just himself, but everyone who puts their trust in him, who rests in his atoning work and dying for our sins on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. So no matter whatever situation you're in, whatever lion that you're facing today, there's lions that are always seeking to devour you. Today our lions come in different shape. We have lions of doubt, fear, loneliness, pain, heartache, loss, affliction, hurt. But Jesus Christ is the lion killer. 
In fact, he's referred to in Scripture as the Lion of Judah. He's the best, the biggest, the strongest lion, the king. He's present with you by his Spirit, his most excellent Holy Spirit who lives in you. He's present with you as you cry out to him in prayer. In fact, Scripture tells us he continually intercedes for us. He's always praying for us. And then finally, he, he's present with us as we rest in Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you and we realize that we need, we need your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts day in and day out, even this week as we go, that we would learn to hear more and more that voice speak to us. Father, would give us a heart of prayer, a heart that cries out to you, not just for small things, but for big things. Help us. Help us to have faith, to ask for the things that only you can deliver. And then finally, thank you for Christ. Thank you that Christ helps us to overcome all things. That in Christ, we don't have to fear being thrown into the, in the pit. Whatever there's, whether there's lions in there or not, that you, Jesus Christ, have overcome those things for us. May we rest in you. May we look to you, not just our deliverer, but the author, the finisher of our faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.